All right, amen, amen. Church, we are in a series, actually it's a very awesome series that's very near and dear to my heart. It is a series where we're talking about having people minister to other people. It's a, it's a, it's a series that is going to encourage and motivate and hopefully inspire you to be a minister to other people. This, the series is called Wounded Healers, right? It's a very poetic uh, series title, but the idea here is this. The church is filled with a lot of broken people. Yes, it's not perfect at all, right? We have people who are suffering, people who have been afflicted, people who have hurt souls, yet what you don't realize is that it is these very souls that God takes and nurture and rehabilitate and, and strengthen and breathes in his life and these souls who've been hurt by their past, hurt by pers personal sufferings, hurt by wounds, right? These are the very souls that God uses to bring comfort to other people, to bring healing to other people. God used wounded people to heal wounded people. That's why our series is called uh, Wounded Healers, okay? And our hope is that as, you, as, as we journey through this series together, through the letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, we understand what it means to be ministers to people, okay? Because, you know, TLC, our, our vision statement is love God, love people, serve the world. We exist to minister to people. We had, the, 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 the whole purpose of why this church is in existence is so that the people who have gathered here, you at home, that you become ministers to those who are in your vicinity, whether it's at home, in your family, whether it's at a church community, whether it's in your school, in your workplace, wherever it is that God has called us here together to be people who will minister to others, okay? So let me ask you this question, right? When was the last time you thought about that? When was the last time you looked into your heart and you did this little gut check and you realized, oh shoot, yeah, that's right. I exist to help people. That's, that's why I'm here. That's why God has placed me here. I'm here to be a minister to others. All right? So I, I want us to have that kind of mindset as we're going through this series. And my prayer, my hope, is that this series will really truly inspire you to think about ministering, think about living your life, and helping others around you, okay? So last week we talked about, um, about why we experience suffering, hardship, and affliction. You know, why is it that as Christians, we go through those things, right? We, so we, we, we pray to Jesus Christ, we accept Him as our Lord and Savior, and it's great and it's awesome, but then we still face affliction, we still face suffering, we still face sorrow. Why is that? And what we learn from the letter... Uh, in, in letter 2 Corinthians that Paul writes to the church, we learn that we experience these afflictions, these sufferings, these hardships, so that we can experience God's comfort as one, but also that we become people who can comfort others. We experience these things so that, one, we can experience God's comfort to us, that He wants to comfort us. He wants he want us to come to the realization of His experience, of His presence, that He is with us, that He is not far from us. He wants 
for us to experience his comfort. And at the same time, when we go through these afflictions, these sorrows, these sufferings, we become a comfort also to others around us. Right? Today, uh, I want to ask another question. And the question I'm asking today is this. So, if, if we're called to be ministers to people, if we're called to be people of service to others, if we're called to bring comfort to others, what are we hoping? What are we hoping for that person to come to the realization of? What are we, what are we praying that they realize at the end of us ministering to them? What is it that we're hoping that they come to realize? That's the question today, okay? So if you can turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15, okay? Let's read from verse 15 and 19. So this is, um, this is Paul sharing about his yes to God, all right? Paul's yes to God for the Corinthians. We'll, we'll share with you that, what that means in a little bit. Uh, context of this real fast is that Paul is... Uh, wanting to go, he, he, he made this plan to go visit the church twice, but something happened, okay? And uh, he wants to clarify what's going on. So, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, or chapter 1, verse 15 and 19, check this out, okay? Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and to have you send me on my way to Judea. And when I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or did I make plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Okay, so what's going on here? What's going on here? Paul made plans to visit the church in Corinth twice in order to bless them twice. Okay, uh, quick context Paul was the founding pastor of the church of Corinth. Okay, he found the church and then he left to plant other churches. As he left, the church got into a really bad state, they started doing really awful and foolish things and Paul writes them a letter that we know as 1 Corinthians to correct those things, right? But as he wrote those, that letter, they read it and they were like, ah, no, I'm going to reject your authority, Paul. Who are you? You're nobody. You're nobody to me. You have no authority. You have no strength. You have no wealth. You have no power. You're just an old man who writes a lot. So they rejected Paul's authority. They rejected their founding pastor's authority. And so what does Paul do? He calls and he visits them. He visits them for the first time. And when he got there, it was a painful visit. Something happened. It was just really a painful exchange. A lot of drama, a lot of emotions, a lot of tears, a lot of hurts, a lot of yelling, I think, that went down. But it was really painful. And so Paul left. Paul left, and as he left, he pens them another letter, which we don't have, right? He pens them another letter. Whatever he wrote in that letter, though, he sends it to this church, and they were broken by that letter. Like, whatever he penned in that letter literally spoke so much truth into their heart, and it, and, and it really convicted them so much that they felt so guilty and so ashamed for rejecting Paul in the first place. And so they were just feeling horrible about it. And so then Paul writes them this letter, 
The letter we have today, or we're reading today, is Second Corinthians. And in this letter, Paul tells them, hey, I'm, I still love you. I'm still for you. As a matter of fact, I wanted to come back and visit you one more time. Right? But what happened? Okay? He originally planned to come and visit them, but Paul knew that if he came back, something about the situation that was going on in Corinth was going to be very horrible. If he came back, it was just going to light up a lot more fire. It's going to create more drama. There were still some messes that haven't really been dealt with yet. Right? They felt bad, but there were still little pockets of people who were still very um, resistant, very angry with Paul. And so Paul realized that if he came back, it's just going to be ugly around the board. Right? And so even though he, he, wrote, he writes in this letter, tells him, I love you. I want you to know that I'm still for you, that I haven't abandoned you. I'm here, right, walking with you towards Jesus Christ together. But he said, but I'm not going to come and visit you again. I'm not going to visit you the second time because I'm going to spare you. Because if I did come, who knows what's going to happen. So I, Paul says in this letter, I'm going to spare you for my second visit. Now, the point here is this. Of course, when they hear that, what's going to happen? They're going to think, see, Paul talks about loving you guys. Paul talks about caring for you guys. He shows up. He says a good game. He writes us a letter. He calls us all out. We all got convicted. We all felt guilt. We all felt a little shame. We all repented. And now what does he do? Does he come back and say hi? Does he come back and comfort us? No, he is going to bone out. All he wants to do is just throw his weight around, say a lot of words, and then just leave. That's our Paul. That's your Paul, right? Rumors were going around like that. And so Paul says, wait, 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 wait. Verse 17 and 19, he says this, When I planned to do this, to come back and visit you, I didn't plan this lightly, Paul said. Verse 17, Do I make plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? Paul is saying this, My planning and my preaching is not fickle, it's not double-minded, it's not one day it's one word, another day is another word. I'm not back and forth like that, okay? Okay? My preaching and my planning is always unified and they're always a yes for you. They're always a yes for you, okay? In Christ, Paul says, everything has been a yes to God for you. Yes to your joy. Yes to your holiness. Yes to your faith. Yes to your love. Yes to your peace. Yes to your power. I have always sought to say yes for, to God for you. I am not fickle. I'm not double-minded. I'm not coming back to spare you. Yes, I'm not coming back because I want you to be able to grow through this. Yes, it is for you. That's what Paul is trying to say. Okay? Imagine God, imagine God speaking to Paul, okay, about this church. Imagine God speaking to Paul about this church. He says to Paul, hey, Paul, will you go? Will you go back and restore their holiness? Because they've forgotten about it. Even knowing that they will reject you, Paul, will you go? Because I've asked you. And what does Paul say? He says, yes, Lord. I say yes to you for them. Imagine God saying to Paul, will you go fight for the correction of their faith because for they have gone astray even when they will mock you to your face? And Paul says what? He says, yes, Lord. 
Imagine God saying to Paul, will you go and do battle until their hope, their love, and their peace is restored, even when it costs you everything, your health, your energy, your life, will you do so for them? And Paul says, yes, Lord. Imagine God saying, will you spare them and not visit again, even if they come to believe that you don't care or that you're double-minded and start throwing shade at you. And Paul says, yes, Lord. You see, the church was thinking that Paul was being double-minded by changing his plans. He shows up, he says a few words, he writes in this letter that convicts their heart, they felt bad about it, and instead of coming back like he promised that he would, he said, I'm not going to come back because I want to spare you. This, that initial trip that I saw you, if I came back, it's going to be bad. So I'm going to spare you from this. And the whole church thought was like, oh, some people in the church were thinking like, man, see, Paul's double-minded. He's fickle. But Paul said, no, 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 I'm not. You have to realize, for you, it's always been yes. Paul's never been double-minded. His one true aim is always yes for the good of the Corinthians. It was always yes for them. All right? Where am I going with this? I want you to hang on a little bit, okay? I want you to understand Paul's heart before I give you the answer to the question that we pose today, which is what? The question we pose today is what do we hope for the people to realize as we minister to them, okay? I want you to understand Paul's heart first before we answer that question. And Paul's heart for the Corinthians church was what? Yes to God for them. That was Paul's heart. Paul's mindset, his aim, his preaching, his planning has always been yes to God for them. I remember when I went to Urbana 18 with our college ministry, it was, a, it was an interesting trip, right? I'm sure everyone at home, you know, very interesting. It was, a, it was the first time I met woke Christians. It was kind of very new to me, but I'm glad I met them because I, I, I understood that they were out there, right? And I was doing really hard. I was, doing, I, was, I was trying really hard to kind of just understand and learn and grow during this process, right? And there was actually one speaker that, that stood out among all the speakers. Her name was um, Sarah Bruel, okay? She was a really uh, awesome uh, woman. Uh, and she came up and she gave her testimony about her life. And this is what she said. She said, I graduated from the top business school in Latin America, right? But instead of going into corporate with all my friends who were in the same class as I was, instead of making the money that my parents knew that I could make and using my talents for that, when my corporate interview asked me, what do I plan to do in five years, I told them. She said, I'm a Christian and God has placed upon my heart to go to mission. And she said, and, and the interviewer said, well, so what did you say to God? She said, I said, yes. And there it is. That was the end of her business career, right? And so she said, yep, I said yes to God, even though it was against every fiber of my body. I said yes to God for the work that he has for me, for the people whom he has prepared for me. And then she goes on, she says, I went to theology school. Uh, for three years, I left a, uh, she left a lucrative career behind her, and she ended up working as a maid um, cleaning homes for the summer. 
And I remember she said she, as she was cleaning the floors, the bathroom floors of one of the house, she was just like, what am I doing? Her whole family was like, you've wasted your life. All of her friends were getting promoted and raises, right? Those who kept their, uh, who continue on with the business. And she, she looked at God and she's like, what am I doing? And she heard God say, can you trust me? Can you trust me that I am refining your heart for the bigger work that I have in store for you? Can you trust me as you're cleaning the bathroom floor? And her answer was, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, to you for the work that you have preparing me for. Right? And then three years later, as she was in Rome preparing to do the work there, she felt in uh, her heart, God asked her that there was this huge global conference of a thousand carefully selected emergent young leaders from over 150 countries coming. And she felt God stirring in her heart, asking her, will you trust me and lead this conference? And at first her hesitation was, but I'm a woman, God. Like, I have no authority. There's going to be a thousand men who are going to come. Like, what can I say? What can I do? What can I have? What, what, what do I have to even offer? And she heard God simply asking her, will you trust me and go lead it? And in the midst of all of her doubts and all of her fears, she said, yes, Lord, I will go. And it goes on, testimony goes on and on, but she said this at the end, she said this, I have decided that a yes to Jesus is a lifestyle. A yes to Jesus is a lifestyle. Just as Paul's life to God was a yes, his planning, his preaching, his work, his love for the church was a yes to God for them. This Young lady, Sarah Burrell, she said the exact same thing. A yes to God is a lifestyle to bless others. Quick question. Is Jesus your lifestyle? Is Jesus, I'm sorry, is a yes to Jesus your lifestyle? Are there things that God has asked you for a yes on? Would you trust me? Would you dare? Are you ashamed of me? Would you not be ashamed of me, right? And all you've done, instead of saying yes, I will trust you. Yes, I am not ashamed of you. You've said no, maybe, not now, right? Is a yes to Jesus your lifestyle? What did you say to him when he asked you to trust him with your relationship? That he knows the honesty, the purity, the integrity it takes to bring about a true legacy for your future sons and daughters. What did you say to him when he asked you to trust him with how to conduct your relationship? When he knows the positive examples that you would set for so many brothers and sisters affecting a whole generation if you would trust him in the way you conduct your relationship. What did you say to him when he asked you, do it my way. Would you do it my way? What did you say to him? What did you say to him when he asked you about your relationship, knowing 
the inspiration that you would be to a world that is broken in their relationship, that when they look upon you and your future spouse, they will see an inspiration of what commitment, consistency looks like, thus even possibly bringing healing to, their, to those relationships. What did you say to him when he asked you to trust? Was it, yes, Lord? Is yes to Jesus your lifestyle? What did you say to him when he asked you to trust him with your career? That's a big one. What did you say when he asked you to trust him, to stop following after the patterns of everyone else, listen to his voice and his leading, be a part of the movement that he's creating, be a part of the plan that he has, be a part of the kingdom that he's building, and actually making real significant changes, not just simply day-to-day -day survival. What did you say to him when he asked you to trust him with your career? Did you say yes, Lord? Or was it no, not now, maybe later? See, Paul was emphatic about his yes to God for the Corinthians. It was to them, he said, I'm not fickle, guys. I'm not just here one day, gone the next day. My aim, my heart, my passion has always been a yes to God for you. Right? But more importantly this, Paul's yes to God for the Corinthians was to show God's unrelenting yes to them. Okay? Back to the question, what are we hoping for people to realize as we minister to them? What are we hoping for them to come to the realization of as we share our lives, as we share our homes, as we share our beings with them? What are we hoping for them to come to realize that our yes to God for them was so that they can see God's yes to them? We're hoping that they would see God's yes for them. See, look at verse 20. This is, what he, this is what Paul says. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, the indeed, the truly, is spoken by us to the glory of God. Let me, ask, let me tell you guys something. Your yes to God, your yes to God, your willingness to say yes to God when he speaks to you, when he asks of you, when he implores you, to trust, to walk, to move with Him, your yes to God opens the door for God's yes to others. That's what we're hoping for people to realize. Imagine this. Imagine the person you are ministering to, the person that, you, that you've come and you've, and you've poured out your life as you've said yes to God for them. So they will reach... Will you, will you minister to them even if they will reject you? Yes, Lord. Will you minister to them even though they will mock you? Yes, Lord. Will you minister to them even though they will hate you? Yes, Lord. Your yes to God is for them to realize God's yes for them. You know how? Because the day will come when they walk up to you. They ask you the question, does he really love me? And you say what? Yes. Amen. He does. Yes, he does. You need to understand that. Yes, he does. 
I am here for you to know God's yes for you. Will He actually forgive me? Yes, amen, He does and He will. I am here to tell you God's yes for you. There is forgiveness. There will come a day when they come up to you and they ask you, will He actually accept me? Will He help change me? Will He actually, will I be actually worthy of Him? And you would stand and you would say, yes, yes, yes. Because you've endured and you've walked with God. You have said yes to God for them. And in this moment, they're coming to you and they're coming to the realization of God's yes for them. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs finds God coming to him with all his promises. Let me say that one more time because I think you missed it. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all of his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all his promises. See, when a sinful person meets the holy God in Christ, what he hears is, yes. Because after they ask you, they're going to ask him, do you love me, Lord? Yes. Will you forgive me? Yes. Will you accept me? Yes. Will you help change me? Yes. Will you give me power to serve you? Yes. Will you keep me? Yes. Will you show me your glory? Yes. And that is what we are hoping for them to realize as we minister to them. To realize God's yes to them. Church, brothers, sisters, your yes to God is to help and to open the door for God's yes to them. That's what it is. You realize that? Your heart of ministry when you are unrelenting, when you are willing to stick it out, when you're willing to commit, when you're willing not to give up, your yes to God for them brings them to a place where they realize God's yes for them. But that's not the only thing that we're hoping to happen or hoping for them to realize as we minister to them. There's a second thing, okay? One, we hope that they realize God's yes to them, but here's the second thing. Look at verse 23 to 24. We'll get to 22 or 21 in a little bit, but 23 to 24. Check this out. This is what he says. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. I didn't come back because it's a yes for you. It is for your good. Will you spare them? Yes, Lord. Verse 24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. It is by faith you stand firm. Paul seeks to advance the joy of their faith. Let me tell you what this means. Paul seeks, let me read it again. 24, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. See, Paul is seeking to advance their joy in the faith. Right? What he is hoping for them to realize is that as you get deeper in the faith, there is deeper joy. You follow me? Let me say that one more time. Paul wants them to realize real joy. He loves them. 
And any people we minister to, that's what we hope for them. We hope for them to realize real joy, don't we? That's, that's the dream, that they come to the realization of real joy. But Paul knows that the only way that you're going to realize true joy, deep joy, lasting joy, powerful joy, is that you get deeper in the faith, that you advance in the faith. So the deeper you advance in the faith, the greater joy you have. What are we hoping for them to come to the realization of as we minister to them? The deeper the faith, the deeper the joy. Let me say that one more time. The deeper the faith, the deeper the joy. Because he knew that joy and faith, they were inseparable. They go together. Right? Put another way, Paul wants for them to find greater joy as we walk them through deeper faith. See, our goal as we minister church to people is to help get them towards deeper faith for why just because of that it can be like you know boasting about how smart they are how great they are no we're getting them into deeper faith because we know that in deeper faith they experience deeper joy that's why we stick it out with them not because we're glutton for pain not because we have nothing else to do with our lives not because we're just bored or we're sadists here, we stick it out and we minister and we walk alongside and we bring comfort and we live along people and we give our hearts to people with the hope that they realize the deeper the faith, the deeper the joy. We want to see joy in people in a world that is so full of pain, so full of fear, so full of just anguish and anger, joy. It's what we're praying for. And Paul, this is how you know Paul loved this church. He wasn't, he wasn't mad at them. He wanted them to get deeper in their faith so that they would have deeper joy in their life. Let me show you what I mean, okay? Because I'm pretty sure they're thinking, I don't get it. There is a joy that you experienced, didn't you? When you first came to know Jesus for the first time, when you found your faith for the first time, right? When you truly found your faith for the first time, wasn't there just this elation of joy, this freedom, this peace, this comfort that just kind of washed over you? A realization that it's all going to be okay? There is a joy that a believer experiences when they see a bigger and clearer vision of God and choose to say yes to Him. Well, wasn't it, wasn't it, didn't you experience something amazing when you chose to say yes to God and you chose to do something that you never normally would ever do, but God said, will you trust me? And you said yes to God. And the result of it was what? That there was this, this overwhelming sensation of his, of his, of his being. There was this peace about you. There was a joy that you experienced. There is a deep freedom when a believer's faith in Jesus leaves them so satisfied that they finally understand the truth of no longer needing to chase, right? When you come to the point of your life when you realize, I don't need to play this game anymore. I, I know who I am. I know who he is. I know my identity in him so deeply. My faith and my trust in him has grown so much. I don't need to chase over and over. I don't need to try to keep proving myself. 
again and again. There's a joy that washes over a believer when they come to that realization. There's a deep freedom when a believer's affection for God has been so stirred that they find freedom and joy in surrendering themselves to Him, to whatever road He may call them to do, right? Like, you, you come to a place where you're just like, God, I just love you. You just tell me what you want, and I'm going to do it. And I may not understand it. I may be afraid of my mind, but man, in following you, there is no greater joy. There is a deep joy that a believer comes to when they finally recognize the beauty that God has made in their relationship, in their marriage. But when they found deeper and deeper realization of how beautiful a marriage is in the eyes, it, when done in the hands of God, in the direction of God. And they realize how wonderful their spouse is. They realize how, 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 how beautiful the journey that they're on. And they come to the realization, I don't need a chase. I'm satisfied. There is joy there. What I'm saying is, Paul wanted the Corinthians to have joy. And so what did he do? He sought to advance their faith. The deeper the faith, the deeper the joy. Okay? That's what it is. See, our job as ministers is to help people along this faith journey. It's hard. It's painful, isn't it? Sometimes when we, when we lead our salt, if you guys don't know, right, you lead your salt and they're just going all over the place. They're taking like 10 steps backwards before they took like even one step forward and you're like, we didn't go anywhere, right? And you felt like you've lost your way and you felt like everything's just going down the drain. But as we continue that journey, right, as you watch them move forward in their faith as you see them get deeper and you watch joy come into their life then you know then you know all right you're happy when they find joy what are we hoping for the people we minister to to realize the deeper the faith the deeper the joy. So as ministers of the faith, as ministers of people who want to walk someone along, our goal and our job is to take them along the journey of faith, to, to drag them there. Because as they get deeper, then we realize, then they begin to realize how much joy it was. Right? You know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, I'll tell you a story. Uh, it's like my son Seth. Sometimes when, we, when I cook stuff for him, right? I cook stuff for my wife, and it looks a little bit odd. He doesn't really... Uh, like it because he, he wants to stick with the stuff that he knows he likes to stick with the, the rice the soy sauce and the eggs so that's that's like that's legit meal he'll do that every single time and, and dad is making some like weird looking concoction in this uh, on the stove here and then dad's like dude you gotta try this this is gonna be so good for you you're gonna you're gonna love it I promise he's like I don't know, know daddy I'm I'm kind of full and he hasn't eaten anything I don't know if I can do that and he's just like he's, he's tasting it but you know the moment you're about to give him something delicious, and you know it's delicious, and you know he, you're about to change his life forever, and as he takes that first bite, and you see his eyes, you're like, yep, joy. Welcome to the faith, right? <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, as you take him deeper, 
in that case, into their palate, right? You see them enjoy the joy of the food even more. In the same way as you take someone deeper into their faith, you see the joy abound evermore. The deeper the faith, the deeper the joy. What are we hoping for people to realize as we minister to them? The deeper the faith, the deeper the joy. We want them to realize that, that God's, we want them to realize God's yes for them. That God, in, in Christ Jesus, God, yes for them. And we also want them to realize that the deeper the faith, the deeper the joy. Here's this. The only way that we can realize God's yes to them, right? Only way that they can realize God's yes to them is that they are firm in God enough to say yes. Right? Only, I'm sorry, let me phrase that again. Only way that they can realize God's yes to them is that you are firm enough to say yes to God first. That you are firm enough to say yes to God first, for them to realize God's yes for them. And the only way for their faith to get deeper, thus experiencing deeper joy, is that they are firm enough to continue to walk with Him and not walk away. Right? They gotta be, you got to be firm in your yes to God in order to bring God's yes to them, but they got to be firm and as they get deeper into their faith because they got to be taking a lot more risk and a lot more things they got to do. How can we do this? Because honestly, I mean, I can tell you this and you can probably, I, I can try it, right? But you, you go out there and you face something terrible, hard, and you give up in a day, a week, a month maybe, right? How can we stay firm continuously? How can we stay firm in our yes to God so that they can realize God's yes to them? How can we encourage them to stay firm in their faith, to get deeper in it so that they can realize God's joy? Jesus. Look at verse 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, okay? We are able to stand firm only when our eyes are open to realize that He stood firm for us. When God the Father asked, who will take ownership of these people? Jesus said, I will. And God tells them, do you know what it will cost you? It will cost you everything. Will you still do it? Jesus said, yes. Do you know that they will mock you and jeer at you and hate you? Will you still do it? Yes. Why? For the joy that is to come. And what was the joy to come? You in faith. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he took the cross he took the cross because he knew, he knew that your faith would bring joy. And so yes was his answer. And the more we realize, the more we realize 
that He is not taking back His word, that He is for us, the more we are able to stand firm and say, yes, God, for them. The more we are able to realize that He is for us, and our hearts are stirred with affection for Him. That he, has, that he has done what? That He has put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That He has set our identities, our direction, our trajectory. There is no turning back. The moment we call upon Him as Savior and Lord, there is no returns. This is our destination. This is our destiny. That identity keeps us firm to continue to walk in Him. And the deeper the faith, the deeper the joy. So, church, what is it that we hope for people to realize as we minister to them? We're hoping for them to know God's yes for them. But God's yes for them comes when you as ministers of the faith, say yes to God for them first. You say yes to God for them first, that's how they begin to realize God's yes for them. And the second thing, we hope for them to realize that the deeper the faith, the deeper the joy. We want to see joy in their life. See, this is how you know you're in, it for the, you're in it not just for yourself, but you're in it for them because you're willing to walk them down this road of faith no matter how painful, no matter how hard, no matter how much difficulty, no matter how many mountains you yourself have to take them on, you're willing to walk them down this journey of faith because you want them to experience this joy. The deeper the faith, the deeper to joy. Paul's heart was to advance the joy of their faith. And that should be our heart as well. So church, my prayer is that you will truly be the wounded healers for God who minister by saying yes, who ministers by seeking to advance the joy of their faith. Let's pray.